rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mostly Harmless. I'm your host, Damn It Damien. Buddies, welcome back to another action-packed episode of Mostly Harmless. This week, we are sitting down and chatting with PR person extraordinaire, Miss Jamie Culetta. Now, if you don't recognize the name, I can guarantee if you've been anywhere in the punk rock stratosphere the last 10 years, you know the acts that she's worked with. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, she's the person that broke up to the world. Jamie also works for Jeff Rosenstock. Uh, the list goes on and on. Wonder Years, AJJ, Chris Barron, Rat Boys, Kississippi, and so many more. Jamie has done a lot of really cool work. Today we're going to sit down and we're going to talk to Jamie about her secret to success. We also talk about how she got into the music industry, uh, what she looks for in clients, what she thinks bands should be doing right now in the pandemic to keep momentum up and keep momentum going. And we talk about that and oh, so much more. I could have talked to Jamie for another hour or two easily. I love picking her brain. I love the way her brain works. Buddies, if you like what we've got going on today, please subscribe. Easiest way to support the show. Facebook is hiding YouTube links, so we're not getting as much push as we used to. So please, just subscribe right here on, on YouTube. We've got a Patreon. Uh, if you don't want to watch the show, we're available on all your podcasting platforms. Without any further rambling, let's go get to our chat. Oh, hey. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Jamie, thanks for hanging out and chatting with me today. Is it true you got a babysitter just to talk with little old me today? <laughs> I mean, if you want to believe that, that's what I'll tell you. I will say that there is someone here watching my child. Yeah. That's true. Well, first off, I wanted to congratulate you on your own business, Know Your Buds. Not only that, you've gotten married and you have a kid now. Yeah, I got mar- I've been married for six years. Oh. Um, so I'm maybe you missed that. That's okay. That's fair. Hey, it happened. Um, and yes, I had a baby this year. So thank you. <laughs> and you started your own business, what, last year? Uh, we're about to, no, we were will celebrate two years in just a couple weeks. Man, yeah. that's crazy. Time flies yeah. when you, time flies when you take four years off from doing this stuff. So I apologize <laughs> for not knowing. Yeah. That. A lot of things can happen in four years. So, yeah. um, yeah, no launched. I, I, I did my own thing freelance for a while with no company. And then I launched it January 3rd of 2018. Nice. And how has it been being out there on your own, doing your own PR thing? You know, it's sort of funny. I think in the beginning, or not even in the beginning, but I've always felt like I didn't want to do this. Like I was never, I never wanted to start my own company and be on my own like that. But now that I've been doing it, it's like, I don't think I could ever work for anyone else again. <laughs> like Now that I know it's like a lot of hard work and it's a lot of work period, but it is so much more rewarding. And, you know, especially two years later now to be able to see some of the ideas I have really starting to come to fruition now. And the types of artists I'm able to work with, it's really grown to be much more than PR, which is what I set out to do in the first place. So it's, it's pretty rewarding. It's just a lot of work. I wrote a list of all the people I wanted to talk to. I was like, whose stories do I want to tell? And you were always near the top of the list. Um, one, because we just always, I've always just loved talking to you. I think we're going to have a great chat today. Um, yeah. Hopefully I'm not too presumptuous. But also <laughs> like, I remember I've been doing punk rock interviews since I was off and on since I was 16. There's some people that open the gate and let people in. And there's some people that will not let you through. Um, not to name any names like Epitaph. Uh, but there, there are some, some PR people at different labels that are just so hard to get through. And they're like, you're too small an outlet. You're too small an outlet. But whenever I worked with you, it was always like the more the merrier. You were always just so welcoming to me. I want to talk to you about so much stuff. So I'm like, where do we go to that gets you back to your baby uh, in an appropriate I mean, amount of time? You don't got to worry about it. You, you ask me whatever you want. I'm good. All right. <laughs> 
Well, so how did you, you know, you've worked on some pretty great records. Uh, I just happen to have a few here. Oh, shit. <laughs> nice. I have Iron Sheik. You worked on uh, Pup. Yep. Classic. One of my favorites, Jeff Rosenstock. Okay. We cool? Absolutely. And then, you know, I have a lot more on the other back there, but you've done some really great work and you were just talking about community and community is really important. And I've been thinking a lot about how community is going to play in the future of music. Let's start off, off at the beginning. How did you get into music PR work? Was that where you wanted to go? Was that what you wanted to do since you were an eight year old child? <laughs> Not quite. No. Um, I, you know, didn't really know it existed, I guess is the story. I, you know, I went to college and I um, made, first went into college majoring in communication, but you know, pretty quickly on, I knew that that was not going to be the move for me. Um, it just the wrong side of the, the, the aisle for me. I just didn't connect with it. Um, but it was the closest thing to what I thought I could do, which was music. And um, at that age, you know, I'm coming out of high school. I was, I booked a few shows. I had doing like, you know, I would sign up to be on a street team and shit. So I was doing dumb shit like that just to kind of be involved more like I'm a fan honestly I would go to shows two three nights a week sometimes like when I got old enough to drive um and so when I got to college I was really looking for a path to be able to find some job working with artists but I didn't really know what it was and uh when I got to school they had a, a degree program for basically like music business when I realized like oh you can really do this this is a real thing and I I did that and granted I will say that my college degree you know, shout out to the school, but, you know, good people there, but I don't really think I got a lot from the education. It was more just, it put me on the right path. Um, meaning, you know, I had to go get internships and it just so happened that the first internship I got was a PR internship. And so it was sort of like, I fell into it, I guess, in the sense that I didn't know what it was when I started, but I was already doing it. You know, I loved music. I loved putting events together for people or just making CD. I used to make mix CDs like crazy. Um, and, you know, I had one of those like huge, huge CD binders that I would keep in the car and it's all mixes. So it's like I was already doing the job. You know, I was telling people about the music I loved and it was just finding that path that would put me on the right track to actually making it my job. So when you're, when you're hanging out with your family, you're like, what is the elevator pitch? What do you tell them a PR person does? Shit, that's a great question. Um, first, because I can't remember the last time anybody in any of my extended family cared enough to ask. <laughs> um, I guess an, ele an easy answer is just like, for somebody who doesn't know music, I guess it's, you know, building awareness around a release or an artist or, you know, being that in-between of the artist and the world and really taking whatever their message is and their, their story is and telling it to other people. I mean, we're all doing the same gig. We're just doing it in different ways on different paths. And you make it look easy. I tried yeah. doing PR work for about a year and then it seemed like the whole industry pivoted. Also, thank you for, you were very kind with your feedback whenever I was pretending to be a PR person. <laughs> you make it look, you make it look so easy. And I, I can attest to that. It is not easy. Is there some kind of secret that you have that maybe I didn't get uh, get told about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a secret. I think it's just, you gotta, I don't know. You just gotta love what you're doing and be yourself. And I mean, yeah, I spend a shit ton of time targeting because if you, if you laser focus the people you want to talk to and you have real reason why, because you spent two weeks researching them, then your pitch is going to land, you know, like it's, if you're going to just shoot out quick pitches left and right, you're going to get the answers in the same capacity. So I think 
there is no real secret. I just, I really try to just be myself. I only work on projects I love and I don't tell myself I love them. I have to love them. Like usually my checkpoint is if I've listened to something enough that I'm singing it aloud around the house, like I'm cleaning if it's in my head later that day or something. But yeah, I have to love the record and from there it's just you know it is also time man it's like i've been doing this for over a decade and some of these writers um probably getting close to a decade of knowing them you know or I'm, I'm pretty there's some that i've probably known since 2013 you know and so we're pushing it in terms of how long we've known each other too so success is also i have to say you know attributed to that too just the timing of it uh yeah. so you mentioned like you have to like a client what other than just liking them what what are you looking for in clients yeah, I mean, well, music step one. So that let's we're assuming we got past step one. Just a vibe. Like, do I get along with them? Can we hang? You know, in pre-COVID, we would be able. I'd love to. I usually would wait till they were coming around on tour or something, and I'd be able to go out, and hang out with them, and smoke, and just chill, and eat something, like just have a vibe. But now, you know, it's a lot of these. It's a lot of zooms, but. It is, it's just connecting and making sure that we get along and that the visions line up of what do they want for the career? Can I actually help them? You know, do I actually have the means and the resources and the connections to connect these dots for this person to get them closer to where they're trying to go? Because sometimes I'll love a record, but they want stuff that I'm just not, it's not within my reach or it's just something I don't feel confident in getting. So I will, you know, kind of weigh my options at that point having a good connection with somebody is so key. It's really, it's loving the music and liking the person. (laughs) Yeah. You sound like an anti, you know, airheads pops into my head and the sleazy A&R guys. You sound like you're the anti sleazy A&R guy. And that's what makes you successful because I, I'm going to use that. I'm going to put that on my Twitter bio, the anti sleazy A&R guy. (laughs) Cause that's so it. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole time during this quarantine for COVID-19, I've been sitting here like the promotions guy in me is like, man, why aren't bands doing this, this, and this? People should be out there doing this. What do you see from your level that you think like bands could and should be doing right now while they're not touring, while they're not, you know, doing their thing? Yeah. um, The best thing I can say is I always tell bands that the same energy that you used to put into touring Everything from if you were self-booking your tour and all those fucking emails, or uh, if you had somebody working on it for you or whatever, it's all the energy, promoting it, getting the merch together, all of that is gone. But that energy has to be applied elsewhere. Take that same level of hustle and apply it to promoting whatever you're doing. And, And if you, you know, some artists don't have any music. Cool. All good. Go get a regular job and chill for a year. Um, can't do much for you. You know, if you don't have, you know, if you're coming off of a record, you know, there's a few examples I can think of, but like, you know, we're really just talking about people who are actively able to create and release stuff. Cause it's kind of what you have to do right now is have, you know, some kind of content coming out on a pretty regular basis. And it, when I say that it means a million things, it means whatever it needs to mean for your project. Like content can be anything from a music video to a new single, to a cover, to, I don't know, your band came up with, uh, you know, their own guitar pedal or, you know what I mean? Like you come up with it. You just need to have these kind of campaign touch points that you can use to kind of keep awareness moving throughout however long it's going to be until you can do something normal again. And you have to also go into it thinking you may not, it may not be normal for a lot longer yeah. there. I know they're saying next year, but it might be, you know, two years before you're able to do what you used to be able to do with ease. So you really have to start thinking 
forwardly and thinking about what am I going to do between now and then that's going to keep people talking about me. And that means I have to have stuff happening. <laughs> and whether you're, you're, you know, you're doing your own thing, you're making your own content, and then you suddenly it's working and people are flocking to you and you're getting a lot more of opportunities. Well, great. That's stuff to fill the calendar, but you can still do it all by yourself too. You know, you can still build your own kind of momentum. It's just coming up with the things that stand out about you and finding creative ways to highlight them. Yeah. I've seen a handful. I, I'm surprised I haven't seen more of it, but I've seen like a handful of like charity comps and yeah. uh, zines from bands to keep yeah. connecting while also doing charity work it, it does take a lot of work and it takes that special person who to do it you know well and it, it is frustrating because even saying all of that there are still going to be great artists and great bands that this time is going to fuck over you know like there's going to be great music that maybe we never get a chance to hear because some people are just this is not their forte you know and this is the part that throws them off and they might have a great record, but they only would have connected if they were able to just go hit it on the DIY circuit or something, you know, like there's just, I, I know of records that would have gone way, gone off way better if they were able to door. It's just a part of it. But I think if anything, it's a, the way to look at it positively is if you were one of those bands who really relied on the road to connect with people. Well, you need to go back to the lab. <laughs> like, you know, like you need to go back to the lab because now you're in a situation where you've seen you can't rely on that. Well, then what? You know, you're going to need to come up with something else that is going to keep this moving. You can't just expect one part of the, it's like a table with, you know, only one peg, like underneath, only one leg, you know, on the table. And you're expecting this table to stand up on one leg. Maybe if you balance it perfectly, you can get it to, you know, that's how I feel, honestly, about how the independent music industry has been in the last handful of years. It's literally leaning on one leg and it's balancing and now it's landed and fallen and it's not going to get back up. So it's like, you have to remember there's other legs you have to be operating. And that's what a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of punk fans definitely forget. I have opinions. I don't know if you can tell Damien. <laughs> no, and that's great. And that's probably like, that's probably what makes this work is like, I don't know about you, but I lie in bed late at night thinking about, you know, how can I promote, X, Y, and Z better, you know, and I'm sure you're very much the same way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like I'm always, I kind of always have the, the radar on for ideas to come in and, you know, I feel like I try to take inspiration from the other kinds of entertainment I consume. I try to pay attention to my own habits I, all the time. You know, if I'm ever feeling like drive for ideas, it's like, okay, let me go on Instagram for an hour and see what stood out to me from artists, you know, or let me go to, you know, TikTok and, and, you know, let me, let me do the experimenting for a minute and see what gets my attention. And that usually gets the ideas coming too. But yeah, you have to be kind of always doing that work, you know? Um, but it's, like I said, it's not everybody's thing. So it's kind of a tough moment for sure. What are some of the craziest ideas that you can't believe you pulled off? <laughs> yeah, okay. This is a fun question. Like I would probably say for Roswell Kid, their uh, record Precious Art. I have to mention this because I feel like people talk about this still and it feels crazy, but people still talk about it and reference it. But when we were planning out the album, I was also like, there was one night I was home and I was really high and I was watching Shark Tank. On Shark Tank was the episode, it was like a rerun. It was the episode where they had the potato parcel where you could just ship a potato to somebody for $10 and they would write in Sharpie whatever message you wanted it to say on the potato and that was it. It was a whole gimmick. 
I was really stoned. And I was like, that would be super funny to send like album promos, but through like the mail like that, or just like pitches, you know, like send pitches through that. We had a meeting with Roswell Kid not long after. And I, I said it kind of jokingly, but everybody loved it. And they let me send those out to, I really wanted it to only go to like the most important people that you can think of. The New York Times, you know, Spotify, Apple, you know, I don't even know, Pitchfork probably got one. I know the AV Club got one. Um, you know, we just really just played around. I mean, honestly, we only got like two responses, but it, the, the lore of it has lived on quite a bit. <laughs> you sent potatoes? I did. I did. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we wrote on them, like, we had it say messages like, you know, hi, so-and-so, like, I bet you've never had a pitch come through a potato before. Anyway, listen to Russell Kid. It was really, really dry and really, like, there was no reason for that to make sense. You know, it was, the point of it was, it was weird. And that was kind of the thing about Russell Kid um, at the time and always. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, that was one. And then I would say, I mean, the other thing that, that comes to mind is not a specific thing that I pulled off, but everything that we did with Jeff Rosenstock, um, everything, everything Jeff, because I, I'm like super, super grateful to have now gotten to meet him right before he started doing the solo thing. And I feel like those first couple of records were among some of the, the proudest times and the proudest work I've ever done. But specifically just like, uh, I, anybody who knows what Jeff was doing before he put out, we cool to see where he is today. is kind of like a mind fuck. You know, and I think 99.9% on him and his drive and who he is and who he's always been destined to be. But I'll take that 0.1% or 0.001, you know, because that early days was really about telling his story. And, you know, the fact that we are able to see him where he is today and know that, you know, back in the 2014, there I was that record, just 2014, 2015 sending that to people and like really having to fucking pull teeth to get people to listen. But like one by one, we found our people and each one was all the more enthusiastic to tell his story because every time somebody gets swept up into his world, you're just blown away and inspired. So you want to go tell other people. And we just, you know, the, over those first two records, we really took his career from one place to a completely different one. And, and I'm super proud of that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a weird thing, but that's definitely a crazy thing that we pulled off is that this man literally lives off of his music now. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were talking about community earlier and how you wanted to do more than just promo bands. And Jeff Rosenstock is the epitome of that. I mean, what do you learn working from a guy like Jeff? Oh my God, everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I still learn from Jeff all the time. But yeah, I think when you work with somebody like that, I think, you know, it's low key what you can learn from them. It's very much like over the course of your relationship with somebody like that, you learn things that maybe in the moment didn't seem as important, but really like, I mean, he knows how to, he, he's very like, he sticks to his way. And that's the most positive thing I can say. Cause it's just like, he knows what he wants out of his life and his path. And he knows what's important to his fans and he, he will not break, <laughs> you know, he will stick to that stuff till he's standing on stage at Pitch, Pitchfork Festival declaring how much he got paid to play it, you know? And it's just like, yes, my God. Yes. Yes. That, that confidence and that, like, he's a superhero to me when I see shit like that. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, Oh my God, you can get on this. You can get to this level being who the fuck you are. You don't have to change who you are. I think it's very, for me, it's very reflective of, trying to make a name for myself in the music business has been really challenging because it's just like, 
I want to be acknowledged for my, my work. I want people to understand that I've been, I'm 10 plus years into this, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make no Forbes lists, you know, and it's like, it's okay, but it's just like to see somebody do, you know, I would if I changed my habits and my, you know, how I work and who I schmooze with, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep doing what I want and what I believe in and building the things that I believe in just like he did, you know, and it's going to pay off. It will. And maybe it already is, but it's just like being able to just work alongside someone like that from, you know, he's also super detail oriented and just like really, really like the finest details on the artwork and the layouts and like the things you would never know matter. They matter. And to kind of be with somebody through that whole type of process, is just, it's you, it, there's a never ending amount of stuff you can learn from that. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I, I quit doing the podcast for four years. Uh, when I was done with it, all I was doing was looking at numbers. I was like, how can I get 200 more listeners? How can I do this? How can I do that? Numbers were all that mattered to me. And that took some time off. And now for me, at least it's all about telling the story. What stories do I want to tell? And again, immediately I started like the numbers aren't high enough. How do I get these numbers up? And then I have to, then I started stressing out about all the wrong things. Yeah. And then just remember that if, if I keep making the art the way I want to make it. Hopefully it's in honest enough that people gravitate towards it. That's the whole thing I've been learning in this process. And that sounds like pretty similar to what you were just yeah. describing too. Yeah. You just got to do you. And I mean, that's really it. And that's the same thing I tell bands when they're like, well, we don't know what to do. You know, it's like, yeah, you do. Yeah. What do you like? You know what I mean? Like this is, does not have to be like fucking pulling teeth. It's just like, you know what to do. I understand if you don't have the, you know, interpersonal skills to pitch and network yourself. That's fine. Not everybody has that, but like, you know, what makes you cool because you, you're, you're you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like interesting, but yeah, when you chase your own passions and you don't really worry about the numbers and you don't worry about who's looking and who's paying attention and you're just doing your thing, that's when magic can happen because you're really like welcoming that into your life, you know? Um, but you know, not everybody wants to listen. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about community. I think I've said that like four or five times. I've noticed that you should put like a little tracker on the bottom of the screen that says how many times you say it. Yeah. In the last few years, like music writing and PR has changed drastically, at least from my point of view. Dan Ozzy uh, wrote a really great email not long ago about the future of, uh, of music writing um, that really got me thinking about this. But I was, I was just curious, where do you see the future of music journalism and, you know, the music PR place in that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it, it, it does change. It changes. It has life cycles. You know, I think it, every four to six years you get a pretty big, even probably more re frequently now than ever, but like every handful of years you get a pretty big change in the scenery uh, especially if you're somebody like us who's coming in with music from kind of the outlier genres, you know, um, there's definitely even fewer people we can talk to. <laughs> and with every cycle, there's even fewer than there were before. But um, I don't know, I kind of feel like it'll always have its place. But it certainly isn't, you know, uh, it's not the whole picture, just like how I explained how touring is only one leg of that table you know, music journalism is only the traditional way of doing it is only one leg. So I think it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a part of the table. Um, why am I going with this table metaphor? You can keep this in. This is, this is me just doing me, but <laughs> this table metaphor is rough, um, but I'm, I get committed to it. I'm committing to the bit, but yeah, it's just like, it's one piece of a bigger puzzle, you know, now I'm going into a puzzle metaphor, dude. <laughs> So I feel like it does, it, it'll always, I think it's almost always going to be around because there's always going to be people just like 
you know, people still listen to fucking CDs. I don't know, man. Like this thing is, it's not dying by any means, but is it dying in the sense that like, it is not the end all be all. It hasn't been for a long time. I think it's really for a core music listener and a music fan. And, and there's certain people who just like to read more than they like to listen to podcasts or watch YouTube videos. That's fine. Everyone's going to have their preference, but those other avenues are definitely taking up some of that space, you know? So I think it probably doesn't get much better for music journalism in the traditional sense, but I don't know that it really, it probably is going to be how it is now for a while until the next kind of life cycle changes. But yeah, I don't know. It really also depends on the music because I think the trends in music right now are really heading to a genreless, more unique, the better kind of place. And if that's the case, well, now we're going to want to see those kind of the rise in niche community driven blogs and things like that and outlets that know their people their their community like airtight but it's not as you know it's not this universal thing it's just this pocket you know so I don't know I think we'll see you know some interesting stuff can come of it but I don't know I think if you're operating in the sense that you need that those types of things just like touring are going to be it as long as you get those things will be good I think you are severely, you know, mistaken. You know, you'll be, you'll be bummed when you get those things and nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. What I've been seeing, email lists again, I think music PR is right. Newsletters are a whole thing right now. It's hilarious. I but <laughs> valuable because some of them, I mean, there's some writers who I follow, them, they got like 20,000 subscribers. Jeez. And it's like, you know what? What makes that any different than the small community scene, you know, blog or whatever? It's the exact same fucking thing. So Yeah. And I think it is slowly going back into a more community-based model. And I really I hope to see more bands really focus on community and building that up first. And I think that's that's the main place. Do you have any advice for kids out who might want to build a community? I mean, just in general, I mean, advice for young, you know, because like, here's the thing, if you grow, if you're a young band or an artist and you're in, a, you have your local scene and you live in Jersey, it's a completely different explanation of what I would say than if you are, you know, the same scenario, a young band in a local scene, but you're in Iowa. You know, it's like the opportunities and the, paths for you are going to be different um and the way you build those communities is going to be different but it's really just about like what do you see that works you know like especially locally is there a space that you can kind of start from you know if you're really going all the way back to zero and you really don't know what we're talking about that's fine because you know there should be no limit to this information but it's just like starting from zero from my experience, it almost always centers around a local space. And right now that's tough because the, you know, there's no, we can't gather in the way we used to. So I don't know. That's a tough question you asked. Yeah. <laughs> but what I like though, is that you're somebody you're in this position now where you have helped some pretty big bands, but you too, you started all the way at the bottom and worked your way up to this position. So I think that's a good lesson is, you know, yeah. there's no job too small, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If you're, you're always going to have a situation where if you, you know, know the right people or you just, you get lucky and lightning strikes and somebody find somebody influential finds your music, then, you know, the path may be different for you, but a lot more people are going to be the ones that release music to not a lot of people and post things for just their family to like and, and, and share. And those people don't know how, you know, they're not located in a place where they can be close to a major scene or they're not, they don't have connections and they don't have those kind of people. I would definitely highly suggest in the time being and even once shows come back, get your ass on social media, you know, and really like 
find your footing there. Maybe it's Twitter, maybe it's Instagram. I don't know where, you know, that's really, that's the person to person that you're going to have to figure out where your people are, but look around you, look at the other bands that you've played with in the past, start digging around your, your local community a little bit of people and hit the socials with it and really try to take that in-person thing that you would get out of having that local space or whatever and try to make it online somehow. And that can be kind of icky for some people. I get it, especially punks. Like people are all weird about (laughs) the fucking internet and stuff. It's all good. But if that's really all you can do right now is find a way to bring your kind of circle of people and bring them online to center around you and your music. But First, you know, find out if something like that's already happening without you, you know, like dig around and see if, if you notice like, oh shit, all of these people are really active on this one platform. Well, cool. Get more active on that platform too. Um, and just build it from there. Or start a zine or something, right? That's perfect too. Exactly. Yeah. You can start it. Literally, you can do whatever you want. You know, like the, there is no limit to suggested specific ideas because it's really going to come down to what's real to you and what's authentic to you. Maybe you're somebody who does artwork and you design stuff. Cool. We'll start doing artwork for other people around you and start getting your name out through them. And you know, like just whatever's authentic to you do that, (laughs) you know, and Follow that path, however, if it's a YouTube thing, if it's a zine, like make whatever you want to make. Make the world you want to be in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about authenticity. How important it is, is it for an artist that you're working with to be authentic, uh, to be themselves and not be this image that they think other people want to see? Yeah. I mean, with me specifically, it's like super fucking important. Like don't even come at, I can see straight through your bullshit. You know, like I promise you I can't, but I think there's other spaces and other genres where you know, that's probably, you know, the, the more safely they can package you up, the better, you know? So I don't know, for me, it's, it's a turn off if everything seems too in place. Do you know what I mean? Like if everything is just so well-crafted and the, from the very beginning, there's no development, you're just all of a sudden, you know, perfect. It's like, that throws me off. Cause guess what? Ain't nobody like that. And so I think, you know, it's, it's super fucking important to me, like beyond important. It's the whole, I, I'm not coming up with, I'm not spinning gold over here. I'm taking your authentic stories and I'm just telling the people I know in my own way. And that's all I've done this whole time. It's just working because I don't know, for whatever reasons it's working, but that's all any publicist or anybody working on the artist site is really doing. It's taking what's real about the artist and bringing it to other people. If you're a specific, you've got a specific thing going, I guarantee you there are people out there who want to work with you too. I prefer you to just be yourself because that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't like people who don't do that. So not in real life and not in work life. So again, thank you for all the opportunities you've given me over the years through your work. If there's a 16 year old kid out there who wants to start a zine that stumbled upon this, their favorite band is AJJ. What do you look for in like a new uh, writer who's pitching to you? What should people be pitching to you and how should they be doing it? Oh, per- great question, because I definitely get a lot of requests from people just starting out that don't, I don't say yes to. And so I guess what I want to see is I want to see that it's for real. You know, I don't want you to tell me I'm starting a website and it, I, it's not, it doesn't exist yet. No, test it out with somebody else, not my people. Um, that's, that's a little bit on, you know, that's one thing. But yeah, I want to see this real. I want to see that it's at least you know, that you're putting an effort into it. You know what I mean? Anybody can start a free website and run an interview just to get access to an artist. I need to see that this is something you're genuinely doing. So whatever it is, I want to see that it exists and that it's legit. And two, 
just like a genuine enthusiasm for the artist. If you're just starting out, you're probably only trying to talk to people you're super excited about. So make sure I know that and make sure that gets across. Don't try to play it too cool. Be real. A to J is my favorite band of all time. I started this website. I've had it running for about six months now. You can check it out here. I've done interviews with X, Y, and Z. I know I'm small, but I would really love the chance to ask Sean about X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Like, still putting together a really great pitch, but show me that you know what the art, you show me that you are a fan. Proof that it's real and that you're putting the effort into it and you're not just trying to get access to the artist. Give me some kind of information that tells me you know the art, that why you want to talk to them and you know what, where your excitement lies. And maybe it's, you've been listening to them since you were in college or what, you know, give me something like that so that I can see that, oh, this person really gives a shit, you know, like this person really cares and that way it's like, listen, this is not going to, you know, going to the artist, this is the kind of opportunity is not going to do anything for you, you know, but you're going to stoke out this fan so much. And does it really harm you to talk to them for 20 minutes? You know, like that's, and you help them start their career. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've helped somebody at a early stage of their career, get access for an interview or something like that. And then two, three, four, five, one life cycle later, right. One media life cycle later, now they've got a gig, a staff writer gig, you know, and then one more life cycle and they're an editor. You know what I mean? Like you don't know where these people fucking end up. So it's like, I try to treat as long as you, you know, you're coming at it with a legit platform. I don't care if you've got 5,000 people who follow it or five, you know, those are five people that weren't listening to my artist beforehand. So cool. Bring them in, you know, but yeah, that's, that would be, you know, make sure it's gotta be pretty professional. You have to, you know, come out, come at the pitch strong but shoot your shot just because you're starting out doesn't mean you can't get the access to the big people that you want. It's just, you have to present it. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten emails from people requesting stuff where they'll, every time they send in a request, they introduce themselves every time. It's like stuff like that where I'm like, you've pitched me and I've written you back four times now. You know what I mean? Like I know who you are. You know, I understand that that's not how a lot of people operate, but you got to come out. If, if we've interacted before, you don't have to introduce yourself every time. That makes me feel like you're copying and pasting your emails, you know? So I, know. I, uh, I always have this fear that people who have forgotten me, especially since it's been four years since I've done this little show. Hey, so that's, I'm like, see, that's different though. You took a break, you come back, you say, yo, I don't know if you remember me. Like I was doing this before. That's, that's totally different. Yeah. But I've had one person, and I, I don't recall her name, but I wouldn't say it anyway. That's awful. <laughs> but this one writer who I got her, uh, she had a little platform, same story, came at it correctly, felt like it was genuine, connected the dots for her. She got her interview. And then the girl continues to send requests in and it's like almost exactly the same format as the first one, like completely fugazi me. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and now I'm like, I write her back and I'm like, I will check, but you realize you've emailed, we've emailed and set things up before. Like, I'm not a robot. You can, I know who you are now, you know? And it's just like, when you come at it so insincerely, it does feel like you're just copying and pasting your request message from one email to the next. And guess what? Maybe that'll fly with everybody else you're setting it to, but I'm seeing through it and I don't want to mess with it. It's, all, it's no personal feeling, you know, it's nothing against you. It's just, I don't feel like you actually want to do this. I feel like you're just checking things off of your list, you know? Well, that's one thing I've always liked about you is that you do feel so personable. Whereas there are other uh, PR people out there who I do feel like I have to introduce myself to them every time. Because yeah, probably, yeah, there's probably so, plenty of them. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but I do appreciate that how 
again, how personable you have always been to this. So I hate to sound like I'm kissing your butt, but I am because I don't think I'd be sitting in this chair had it not been for a lot of the help you gave me along the way. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I'm this year's made me big on appreciating people and like uh, usually it's drunken text messages like hey <laughs> remember seven years ago that one thing you did that changed my life thank you so um, this year has been obviously a weird one what do you have to look forward to in 2021 well a lot of stuff I don't want to talk about yet but okay. um, no your bread celebrates it's two-year anniversary on January 3rd um, very excited. I can't say what I'm creating to celebrate that, but it's a, I'll say there's a multi-part series and it involves a lot, pretty much every No Earbud artist is from its inception is involved and it's, I'm very excited about that. So that's, we're going to announce that on the third and it'll start rolling out sometime from there. And what else? I mean, Lots of exciting stuff on the horizon for some of my my bigger clients right now. I mean, and and I don't know. I just have a lot of cool young first time kind of people to introduce you to. It's a lot of stuff in the works. Um, literally, none of the records are announced yet, so I can't say anything. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's, come, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. We'll we'll get you back on maybe closer to it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know we I know we were just talking about authenticity, but it, are there any bands out there that you? out there that you're watching and you're like i wish more people would do it like that other than jeff rosenstock oh that's a good question Damn. yeah yeah like, who should i emulate <laughs> you know there's a band called pink shift right now they're younger they're just coming out in the punk space i think they're definitely worth looking at they're super smart and super savvy um and the way they've gone about releasing music so far they only have a few songs out and the way they've got about creating the momentum around those releases is pretty impressive. Um, they're definitely one to watch and I don't work with them. So <laughs> I would like to, but um, who else is doing it well right now? I mean, heart attack, man, another, I'm trying to think of people I don't work with. Cause I feel like it's weird to be like, all of my artists are incredible and everyone should listen to them. But Heart Attack Man does social and does digital so fucking good. It's crazy. And, you know, them, Roswell Kid, these are examples of people who know how to maintain momentum on social without having active releases. Yeah. Um, it's hard to think of things I don't work on because if I see a band doing it well, that excites me. Um, you can probably assume I've already reached out. <laughs> you know, I've already hit them up. So um, it's hard not to, to think of things I'm not involved on because I'm involved with a lot. Um, but also, like, this is impossible. I, I have to shout out a few of my own because some people really just killed it this year and, and are good resources for other bands who are looking to figure out what to do. Rap Boys. Rap Boys, this entire year, super impressive. If you look back through it, um, you know, they had their album come out in February. It was their most critically acclaimed album yet. It was this like huge headlining tour they were about to do and literally it all went away. And so, they, and, I mean, they had dates that they were going to open up for Wilco. Like they had like really cool opportunities on the horizon. It was the best record so far. So it's like all these wonderful things are lining up for them, touring wise, everything. And then it's all gone right after like, two weeks after the record came out gone. And, you know, I don't think that that band stumbled for even a second. You know, I think they took some time to regroup and to think about what they wanted to do. And then they started a Twitch channel and they started doing these virtual tour dates and they would just change their background and, you know, they'd go and play little live gigs and they built this Twitch up to the point where on Halloween, they actually hosted a 24 hour telethon to raise money for the Equal Justice Initiative, where 
they streamed on their Twitch for 24 straight. It was actually 25 hours because of the time change. So it was 25 straight hours that they had performances and I was on there. I counted down my favorite episodes of the office with them. And it was just like, they, we filled, they filled that time up so well. They raised like, I want to say they raised around $15,000. It was incredible. And so like, they're a great band to look to for just like, how do you survive when, you know, you have a same thing with dog leg is another great band to look at. You know, they came up with, they first kind of rolled out. They had a record that dropped in March great live band all of a sudden that's off the table they had a bunch of live studio footage they started putting out they did their own kind of they did some streaming stuff and then um just recently them and another band that's friends of theirs they decided to cover each other and put out eps of each other's songs so it's like you know you got to look at some of those things and just see like how people were able to survive and, and adapt in these situations and just you know, take some inspiration from them. I can name up every, I'm proud of everybody that I work with this year because I think everybody really climbed outside of their comfort zones and figured out another way to, to do their thing. So nice. Well, Jamie, I'll let you go. Thank you again for getting a babysitter just to talk with me. Yes, of course. Only just, just to talk with me. Yes. Uh, not no, to run a business or anything. Yeah, no, that's not true. Um, <laughs> I was just going to congratulate you again on no earbuds uh, going out on your own. I know it can be very scary. Um, and I can't, I'd love to talk about that at some point when you don't have a babysitter, you know, just yeah. starting your own business and Oh man. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do a part two. I don't give a shit. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> we'll, do it. we'll do it in a couple of years or months yeah. or whatever, but uh, congratulations <laughs> again on everything. Congratulations on your child. Um, congratulations. Six years ago to your wedding. <laughs> Thank you. So, wow. Right. Incredible way to wrap it up. I love it. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, hey.